World of Blazing brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture. Always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith Real Talk. This is your host, the man on fire, John Sablon, and I want to dive into this segment right away uh, because it's a, a topic that um, requires a little bit of time to kind of go through, and I want to welcome um, a, a brother of mine that uh, is very interested in this topic, especially as it relates to both his own personal uh, faith journey as well as his everyday life and what his mission is. Um, and his uh, what pays the bills. His job is what pays the bills. So I want to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Douglas Beaumont. Hey, brother. All right, John. How's it going? Good, man. Good, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Full disclosure to the listeners and to the viewers out there, uh, Doug is a, a friend of mine. Uh, he, I consider him a brother. He's also the director of religious education at my home parish, St. Joseph's in um, Modesto. So if anybody tries to find you, Doug, you're, you're, I just blew your cover. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's also the author of the message behind the movie, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Doug is getting a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ignatius press should come out with it next year. And, uh, I'm really excited about it cause it's going to be kind of a director's cut and, uh, get, get a bunch more in there than was in the original. Wonderful. The, uh, the other book that Doug is also known for is evangelical Exodus also published by Ignatius press. And Doug, what's that book about evangelical Exodus? We're going to be talking about the concept of Exodus throughout the show, both, both in your journey as outlined in the book, um, but also from you hearing it from you, but also this other, um, this other issue we have in the church with our young people leaving the church in droves. But what is evangelical Exodus? Tell us a little bit about the book and then let's get into your own faith journey into Catholicism. Yeah. The seminary where I was teaching when I uh, eventually left and became Catholic has actually had quite a few uh, notable converts, uh, even though it's an evangelical seminary, uh, a lot of the alumni, even some of the professors uh, like myself have become Catholic. And this book catalogs nine of those stories, plus it goes over four of the very biggest issues that evangelicals face when they're looking at Catholicism. All right. On that note, let's talk about your journey into the church. Um, you know, a little preview, I guess, for those to go out and buy your buy your book. Um, but what did it for you? What what was the journey? Uh, obviously, it wasn't it didn't happen overnight, but maybe you can just uh, educate the viewers and listeners to what brought you into the Catholic Church. Sure. Yeah, I, I became a Christian right after high school and uh, spent most of college with Baptist type groups and stuff, mostly just because I didn't really know any other. Um, and I got really into apologetics. I got really into uh, why people believe what they believe, because I was kind of a skeptic in high school. So it was really important for me to get the answers. And I ended up at this evangelical seminary in North Carolina called Southern Evangelical Seminary that specialized in defending the faith and, and giving the reasons why we believe what we believe. And uh, I ended up teaching there, uh, finishing up, uh, taught there for 10 years. And as I was beginning my doctoral studies, I started looking deeper into some issues that I didn't really feel had been answered to my satisfaction, uh, such as like why we have certain books in the Bible and not others. Uh, how do we know that the creeds and the councils of the church uh, really actually teach Orthodox Christianity versus um, other views? And uh, over the course of about five years, I essentially studied my way 
into the church um, with with uh, several other people coming before me and after me, uh, which is the topic of the book you mentioned. Um, but yeah, so when I when I came in, it was largely because of studying some pretty in depth issues uh, and and hitting it pretty hard until I found a satisfactory answer. So you know, along those lines, because there's been uh, some folks that I've interviewed on this show that are converts to the faith. I mean, my wife's a convert. I'm a revert, but really probably a convert um, because I wasn't really practicing much. Um, but there has to be a certain level of humility. And I imagine when you're, you're coming from the evangelical arm of the Protestant uh, uh, background that, I mean, you're, you're kind of root, you're really rooted in your faith. So, I mean, maybe for the viewers out there that maybe on this journey where you were, what, what do you think, um, was there one specific thing? Obviously you, you had to be open to that questioning, right? But you know, you, you probably were really comfortable getting into, you, you were in the seminary. I mean, you probably had, uh, dreams, goals, ambitions to, uh, obviously be part of the faith that you knew at that point. What was there one specific thing that did it for you? What, what helped you become more open to it? Because there's a, a certain level of, um, both intellectual and spiritual humility, as well as honesty with yourself. I think the the thing that really grabbed me <clears throat> overall was the idea of, of religious authority. Mm. Uh, I was a pretty big uh, fan of Thomas Aquinas, um, uh, which we actually taught at the seminary, which was an odd part of the story. Um, mm -hmm. But when it came to his basic views on reality and the nature of God, you know, we were we were very classical, if you want to call it that, and. Um, as I read further into his writings, what I came to realize was that there, there was a real authority structure there and that um, just just sort of the tacit individualism of evangelicalism, um, it first of all, it didn't work uh, because I, I was seeing churches getting destroyed by individual personalities. Um, I, I was seeing questionable ministries exploding with 50,000 people coming and the more I thought about it, I just realized, you know, this is just what evangelicalism is. I mean, this is just what Protestantism is. You know, you might throw a couple extra layers of authority, um, but at the end of the day, where, where does it, what is it grounded in? Um, how, how can it be grounded in scripture? That's the usual answer. Uh, when you've got hundreds, if not thousands of different groups all claiming to follow scripture as their authority and yet disagreeing with each other. And that difficulty led me to, look into how the early church operated, not so much what it believed, but what did it do? Like, wh where did we get the canon of scripture? Where did we get the table of contents for our Bibles? Oh, it turns out the church did it. Um, wh where did we get the idea of the Trinity? Turns out the church came up with that in a council. You know, why do we believe certain things about Jesus? Same thing. And what I kept running into over and over again was that basically this church is giving us all this stuff and, and it gave it to us hundreds of years after the scripture was written. Mm-hmm. So at what point did it become okay to say, I'm going to stop listening to the church and I'm just going to read the church's book and decide for myself. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question with anything reasonable. Well, we're, I know me personally, uh, I've benefited from that reality and that, uh, that decision that you made to actually come into the Catholic church. I know our parish community is very blessed to have you. So, um, Let's move on, because I think I wanted to spend the bulk of our dialogue on what we see as an issue today in the religious landscape, specifically with the amount of people leaving the church. And we know that, that this is an issue uh, primarily with our young people. Um, 
Yeah, let's 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 set the the backdrop though for the listeners and for the do we have an issue today with people leaving the church? Oh, absolutely. Um, and and just to kind of you said background, I'm glad you're talking about that. Just just to kind of bring it back even farther. I mean, th- this is a Catholic discussion we're having Catholic show, mm-hmm. um, but but the numbers that we're going to be talking about today are, are common across the, the whole of the of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are the same kinds of numbers that were getting thrown around when I was an evangelical, you know, five, six, seven years ago, uh, back at the seminary. I mean, a- almost every apologetics ministry that came out was quoting these numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, wh- whether the Catholics are a little ahead or behind of the Protestants here or there, um, it, it's it's pretty bad across the board, um, and and even if the Catholic Church is slightly worse or slightly better than some other group, it no, nobody has any bragging rights at this point. <laughs> right, we're all we're all losing in the sense of uh, people leaving the church, really the, the non-affiliated uh, for the most part. Right, yeah, th- these people are leaving Christianity. I mean, un- under whatever you know denomination branch what you want to call it. Um, we're just we're just bleeding members, and it's largely in the young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the the stats are all over the place, but um, it, it's it's in the top quarter. I mean, you, usually higher than seventy five percent. By the time uh, average young American reaches college age, um, at least three quarters. I've seen numbers as high as eighty percent of them um, are disaffiliating. They're they're leaving any kind of standard religion. Um, and basically considering themselves, you know, maybe spiritual, but not religious or, or a nun, N-O-N-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, those numbers are very troubling because uh, someone doesn't just go to college and instantly become a skeptic. Uh, the, these have to be rooted in doubts and experiences that are coming before that. Uh, college is probably the most um, uh, convenient time to leave the faith, right? Because you're, you're probably out of the home. There's probably some things you want to do that, you know, you shouldn't, uh, like C.S. Lewis said, you know, there's, there's, there's times in our lives when it would be very convenient if Christianity was false. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, college is definitely one of those. Of course, it's, it's also the first time they're out from, out from the house. The parents aren't there. But uh, the fact of the matter is that they're, they're already in trouble by the time they're in high school or maybe even earlier um, or else they wouldn't be leaving when they do. So, okay, so let's let's unpack it a little bit as far as wh- what are those stats? So for those, the, the viewers or the listeners who may not be familiar with what you're referring to, um, w- what are we talking about when it comes to the data? What is the data telling us? Yeah, there's been some good studies. Uh, Pew Research uh, has done one just a couple of years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and they, they, they were good for the quantitative data, kind of getting the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um uh, my friend Brandon Vaught published a bunch of this in one of his books, and, and I'll, I'll just quote some of the Pew uh, research from him. But um, they're saying that about uh, almost 80% of former Catholics left before they were 23. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty huge number. Um, over 60% leave before they're 18. So th- there's there's not that many more that are leaving in their 20s. Th- th- this is something that's happening to our teens, essentially. Um and then uh, another study that St. Mary's Press did, which we have talked about, and I think you have a copy of it there, uh, going, going, gone, was a bit more on the qualitative side, looking at why uh, why they left. So that, that's something we should definitely talk about. But at the end of the day, what we're seeing is that um, the current young adult generation um, has lost about half of its Catholic population, about half of the Catholics 
in the millennial generation are not Catholic anymore. Mm-hmm. And of those half is where you're referring to of those half, 80% of them are leaving right between 18 and 23, 60% of them before 18. And what Doug is referring to for those who are uh, listening and watching out there. So the friends watching, I'm showing the book. Um, it's going, going gone by St. Mary's uh, press. And, um, and it's essentially, as Doug said, it's a qualitative analysis. So trying to understand um, what that data is actually telling us about those who are leaving in. And Doug, it, it, it categorizes it, right the those that are that are leaving into three categories right they try to be try to narrow things down because um, it's an easy read for those of you who want to who want to get it I mean you can you can read it easily in one sitting no problem um, but it, it was the injured the um, uh, dissenter and the is it the dissatisfied now of course now I'm, I'm forgetting right I mean there's, <laughs> there's three different categories are the injured the drifters and the dissenters there you go there um, you go and so let's let's talk about this because I mean we both have uh, experience in parish ministry. I mean this is your your everyday job in both and for both of us in evangelization. And for those that are out there, um, most people can probably wrap their head around okay, well yeah this is a problem. And um, and now that we're throwing numbers behind it, it's not just a problem; it's a big problem. Right. Um, what what can we learn from the the going going gone uh, book, and then also from you know. Pew Research, BARDA has some studies when we talk about this is the first time in our country's history that we're in a post-Christian era, right, where most people uh, identify as, as non-Christian for sure, um, but no religion at all. And so we're, we're addressing, like you said, not just a Catholic issue. This is, this, is a, this is a Christian issue for sure, but just religious in general, right, that most people are opting uh, to not follow any faith whatsoever. Um, and, and so... It isn't a Catholic problem. It isn't just a Protestant issue. It's a it's a religious, it's a faith problem. So, what can we what can we share with our listeners and our viewers out there about what we're learning? At least right now, obviously, we don't have the uh, the complete answer, or uh, we'd be probably rich by now if we can get everybody back into the church, right? Um, uh, what, what can we what can we learn from going going on and some of these other studies? Well, I think one of the things I see pretty consistently is that there's there's no silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing I, I would just caution people against is, is a, you know, kind of having the one tool toolbox, <laughs> um, you know, as an apologist, of course, it's easy for me to say, oh, well, that's the problem. You know, they need apologetics. They need to learn how to defend their faith. Um, and I do think that's true because that's definitely a, a big, big part of it. Um, the, uh, the so-called um, contradiction between science and religion uh, crops up a lot. Um, so there's, that's the intellectual side. On the ethical side, you have a lot of people, though, that are concerned with the church's teachings, especially on uh, issues of life and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of them just just that's where you get the dissenters. They just flat out. No, I just don't agree. You know, homosexuality is not wrong. Gay marriage, all this you know, kind of stuff, birth control. So you've got the intellectual difficulties uh, that I think are helping people jo- by joining to the ethical problems where I don't like the church. I don't like what it teaches. Oh, and then here I have all these rational facts that seem to say that the church is definitely wrong. It's a pretty potent combination. Um, and so, you know, that, that's where education comes in. You know, we need to let people understand what the church actually teaches about these things because half the time they don't even really know. Um, and then, you know, beyond that is, is more of just sort of the cultural s- slide. Um, family is a big part of it. A third of these folks said that the family was a big part of the issue. Mm-hmm. 
and either because they, you know, it might be a combination of things. Uh, you know, parents raised Catholic, did all the right stuff, ended up in divorce. So now they have this very painful experience. They've got the church saying it's immoral. Uh, what do you do with that? You know, how, how do you how do you go to daily mass and, and pray before the, the sacrament when your Catholic family's falling apart? And all of a sudden they're not acting very Catholic anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also got to realize that, I mean, just as far as America goes, um, you know, the, the, the baby boomers, the generation of the sexual revolution, the hippie era, all that stuff. I mean, these are our grandparents now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're losing a lot of the inertia that we might have had from the generation before them, generation before them, where now, you know, the, the, the kind of um, cliche grandma making sure the grandkids get their sacraments, um, that's the great grandparents now, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Uh, you know, the parents are sitting in the parking lot, which, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we, we both know, you know, what it's like here on, on uh, school days um, that, uh, yeah, the, you, you just don't have that kind of cultural Catholicity, that cultural Christianity going on anymore where, oh yeah, you know, nobody eats meat on Friday. I mean, that's just what you do. You know, everybody goes to church on Sunday. That's just what you do. Um, That's becoming weirder and weirder, more and more unusual. It makes less and less sense to people. And uh, I think that losing that culture is probably the biggest thing. It's, it's a lot easier to believe or not believe when friends and family are support are supporting either decision. Yeah, I think so. And I want to clarify for the listeners and viewers out there, because there's the the cultural Catholicism you're talking about is a vibrant, vibrantly lived faith. Right. Where now we're seeing uh, the other cultural Catholicism, whereas well, I identify, I mean, I'm from the island of Guam and, and a lot of people have heard my story already. But as much as you identify with being Guamanian at one point, Guam is not so much a Catholic island uh, today. Um, which is much of the case with a lot of what used to be culturally Catholic places. Um, as much as you identify with being Guamain, you identify with being Catholic. And and we and so now the that was the what? Well yeah, I'm Guamain, I'm Catholic. And but we never knew the why. And and so you became very mechanical, became very rote. And when you can't answer the why, then you're you this is what we're seeing even in the book, Going Going Gone, where people didn't know why we believed certain things. And so there's a lot of um, either uh, Either people being misinformed, uh, uh, they're either ignorant of, of the fact or, you know, they've been taught wrong or they see the hypocrisy. One of the things, though, to, uh, this is in, in the world that we live in. Right. Of, of, I mean, uh, at our at our parish. Right. I mean, you're responsible for essentially catechizing close to a thousand people uh, on a given week. Right. <laughs> trying to teach uh, the faith. And one of the things I thought was interesting as I read through the going, going, gone study Again, we're looking at you know them pulling uh, the the quantitative data and then trying to put a qualitative analysis on it to try to understand the why. Is a lot of what you're saying is had really less to do with the church, um, but more with what they perceived to be the church, or how they saw the people within the church living out what the church taught. So now we see people who are very conflicted, like you said, that was a perfect example, and I think this is a big issue today, is where. In the family structure, which is the number one place being attacked today, right? The family structure is fractured. When that goes to pieces, all of a sudden, the concept of God, uh, the uh, b- the ability, even the feasibility to practice the faith, because now you have broken homes, and um, all of a sudden, there's a there's a, uh, I would say, a big misunderstanding of what the church teaches. 
as it relates to divorce and separation and all of this. So people think that they're being condemned. And um, unfortunately, people within the parish walls, um, and we know this, and it's not just Catholics, but in general, where people all of a sudden feel judged, they don't feel welcomed. Um, they feel like there's not a place and community is important, right? We were made for those of us who are Christian. We believe that we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so we were made for community. And when people don't feel like they belong, they skedaddle, right? They beeline out of there. Um, what, so, and again, that, that's John Sablon's personal view on that when I think of, man, a lot of this, I'm looking at it, man, we, we've just, we've really missed it. Like you said, where the, the generational uh, handing down of the faith, a vibrant faith, the, the, you know, the, the Catholicity in the cultures of just really, like you said, where it's like, you really have to try hard not to be Catholic back in the day, right? Because you're just like, wait a minute, everybody does this. Um, not to say that everybody does it perfectly, right? Or everybody does it consistently. We're a church of sinners, um, you know, welcome to a fallen world. But what, you know, what are your thoughts on that piece of, you know, the difference between really, is it, the, is it a church problem? Is it a people problem? Is it both? You know, where do these, what do we have to say to some of these folks? And you as a person responsible for evangelization and faith, you know, catechesis within your, within your own scope of control, how are you approaching this at your level? Yeah, it's it's been a, a bit of a road. You know, there, there's very different challenges that I run into as a Catholic than you do as a Protestant. Um, one of the things, and, and and I've talked to the the pastor of uh, Father Mark pastor about this several times because he he he's kind of fascinated by like you know what did they do in the Protestant church, the evangelical world, you know. Um, and of course, you know we have these giant mega churches right down the road down here that are getting a million people a day, and you know what's what are they doing? <clears throat> and I think that. One of the big differences I see is that, um, you know, the, the more faithful Catholics, too many times the faith is presented as a checklist, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you got to do this, 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 and this, and then you're good. And if you can knock it all out in 90 minutes, two hours, great, you know, then you got the whole rest of the week, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when, when we have the kids coming here, you know, which they have to, if you want your sacraments, you got to, you got to come to catechism classes, um, you know, it's pretty easy to check that off the list without engaging at all. Mm-hmm. And and so what we're really doing is, is we're taking a, a faith that is maybe only being really seen, acted out an hour or two a week, you know, if, if we're lucky sometimes, sometimes we don't even get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're just adding an, adding an hour onto it, right? So what, 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 is, that, what is that stat? How, how much time does mass take out of, out of your week? Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, really, if you looked at, even if you added all, the, I use this in the ministry, right? So it's like, if there's 8,736 hours, if you even added, let's just call it six days of holy obligation on top of the 52 weeks, it's like 0.0066% of time in mass, in mass. Yeah, so not even 1%. Let, let's, let's just go crazy and round up and say you have adoration and a few other things. You, you're, you're spending 1% of your life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're only getting such a very, very small addition to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're, we're doing it because they have to, right? This, this is, this is to make great grandma happy or grandma happy or, or, you know, or the parents. I mean, there, there's a lot of faithful Catholics out there, but as far as like what I'm seeing over and over and over hearing from all the other religious ed directors in the other parishes, um, you know, it, it's just this checklist mentality. You know, you, you do what you have to do to check off and get First Holy Communion. Then you disappear for six years. 
you know, oh, now it's time for confirmation, check, 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 you know, fill out your forms. And, and it just, it's become this machine that just relies on the necessity of the sacraments to get people to jump through hoops. And that's just not going to create a vibrant faith in anybody. You know, that, that's just enough to make people, uh, you know, jump through whatever hoops you make them. So part of me, you know, wants to jump in and do the normal thing where we leverage that and force people to learn. <laughs> but then part of me also realizes like, this is not how you make a vibrant community by forcing people to do stuff. So I, I see the, the Catholic issue as kind of a balance between leveraging what people have to do, but getting them into something that is going to change their lives, that's going to make them disciples and not just say, you know, pass this test and you get communion and then you know check off this timesheet and you get confirmation you know anybody living their lives like that where they go home and, and the rest of their life is, is has nothing to do with what happened at church there's no way those people are going to make it out of high school catholic right yeah i mean, yeah, I mean that's the thing, that's that, the I, thing that i i would say i would that say that is a struggle, is a struggle for, us. for us wow i'm getting some feedback on there are you getting the same feedback you hear me okay i'm good i'm good okay. um I think one of the issues that uh, we struggle with is seeing how there's that, that disconnect, that incongruency, right? So there, there's this thing, cognitive dissonance, right? An attitude towards a behavior or the incongruency between what I say I believe versus what I'm, what I actually do, right? Am I living what I profess uh, with my, with my mouth? And we see this with parents all the time. Uh, and I think that's where I wanted to kind of go with some of this is even looking at going, going, gone, how much of this is, an issue with how we're bringing kids into the faith. What kind of faith are they witnessing, you know, lived out? And um, I mean, these kids are smart, right? Uh, they, they see that, hey, wait a minute. I, like you said, in, at least in our diocese, we, we, we bring, you know, we have First Holy Communion at third grade, seven, eight years old, and then they disappear until seventh grade when they get the Sacrament of Confirmation, right? And so now we have 12-year-olds. So now you have four or five years that have gone by if they were even practicing the faith if not we had five years right do the math five solid years of a essentially you know non-existent faith and now we're going to try to change that around in an hour and 15 minutes a week right so less than one percent of us trying to introduce this concept of a god who loves you of jesus christ and you know um somebody who uh that the, the concept of even the sacraments, right? That that's God's divine life. It's not just a symbol. It's it's God's divine life working through that. What is this concept of grace and um, you know an, uh, an encounter? All of these things that we're trying to um, kind of help facilitate through ministry, um, through faith formation. Yet it's like you said, we don't we don't have a chance. And I think that's the the hard part for us is we um, for those of us who are out there trying to lead, especially our youth, towards a a real uh, encounter with a vibrant faith. I mean, there is no silver bullet, but it does to me start at home, right? If, if we somehow think our kids aren't paying attention, like why are you dropping me off to Wednesday night catechism, but we don't ever go to Sunday mass. Mm -hmm. And when we treat faith as something we do, not something that we live, then yeah. If when it comes down to homework or soccer practice um, and then catechism, well, I've got time to do two things. Who's who's gonna who's gonna who, what are we gonna punt on? We're gonna punt on God, 
because yeah. God will always be there. And it's not really uh, important. You know, the difference between ideal and a value, right, is that, yeah, maybe they think that catechism is good. But in all reality, it, it, it's not God is not important. You know, mass or faith isn't important because I'm not spending the time that I would um, that I should if, if that really was the case in my life. So what are you doing? You know, you said there's a balance to it, right? So uh, obviously the things that they have to do, and it still, it just bogs my mind, you know, that, that parents still go, we did sacrament, you know, sacraments have brought people to say, well, we got to get you confirmed because, you know, grandma will be upset or whoever will be upset. That's kind of what we're dealing with in, in everyday ministry. And I don't think any parish is um, free from that, but there's a balance between it. What do you, any suggestions to our fellow brothers and sisters out there for how to approach this, how to crack this nut that um, can start to turn the ship around? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still, you know, trying to kind of figure it out a lot myself. Um, you know, drawing from some of my experience, one thing I can say is that you, you've got to have, you've got to have a good process. Um, we, we have to stop banking on the fact that people are going to do whatever we say just because we say to do it, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're about a generation away from just losing that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and here, I think there's a sense in which we can learn something from the, the non-Catholic Christians in the sense that, you know, evangelicals don't have to go to church. You know, if, if, if I didn't go to church on a Sunday, there was no guilt at all. I didn't have to go to confession. There is no confession. You know, um, there's no sacraments at all. So church is something you do for you, you know, mm-hmm. um, I pick the church that is going to help me because it teaches me better. And I like the music and, you know, and, and we can, we can, you know, make fun of them because it's all, it's all about me and it's all about entertainment and everything. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, the, most of these people are, are faithful in the way that they know how to be faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no matter how good church is, there's always something more fun. <laughs> you know, I don't care how good your church band is. I don't care how good your preacher is. There's always something a lot more fun to do than go to church. So it's not simply the case that they're going for the music and the laser show and everything else and the coffee and, you know, the, the theater seating. I mean, all that helps. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, people just don't go to an evangelical church service unless they want to. I mean, that's really what it boils down. They don't go to the Bible study unless it's good. They don't go to the service unless it's really feeding them. Um, and it works. You know, why are these churches just as big as ours where, you know, oh, you go to hell if you don't come to church this Sunday? You know, they, they don't have that at all or anything like it. And yet they're showing up in droves and they're bringing their kids and they got all these programs. And, the, you know, so I think at least part of it is we, we need to look at what are we doing for catechesis? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the boring school homework check off the list model only works in a culture where everybody is already Catholic and already wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've taught for a long time and I, it, there's a world of difference between teaching people that have to be in a class, <laughs> you know, versus the people that want to be, I always liked electives, you know, because it's like, yes, nobody is in this room that doesn't want to be here. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it is, you know, if we can deliver something that is actually changing lives, that's actually making disciples and not just, giving a checklist of things you have to be able to recite, you know, quit treating it like it's school. Um, I think people will want to come. Mm-hmm. And I think that a- another thing we need to do is, is we need to move toward dropping the school model. And and this is where, I mean, I'm kind of walking on eggshells here a little bit, <laughs> um, but 
I, I do think there's a sense in which the school model works when people want what you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people don't want what you're teaching and all they're going to get is like the reward for having been taught, that's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got to change things up a little bit. Um, if, if the parents are coming to something that they're not interested in enough to take a, take a class, you know, I mean, we, how, much, how much adult faith formation do we have here at this parish? It's crazy. Right. And we get 20, 30 people <laughs> and it's usually the same people. And they just move around for what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with 5,000 families, we should be exploding. Um, so why do we have a thousand kids and we only have a hundred adults? Um, the, the numbers are off. So I think, you know, given, given the Catholic model where, to some extent, it's kind of a, you know, you kind of got that carrot, <laughs> that sacrament carrot. Um, we need to, we need to start focusing on the families. We, we, we need to provide something that is going to help them be better Catholics, get excited about their faith, understand it more, you know, understand the why we believe, not just the what. Um, those things need to be taught so that it becomes a family catechesis and not just drop your kids off for an hour and a half every week and we'll give them their sacrament. Because, um, like you say, if 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 what we do in 0.006 of percent of our time uh, isn't being supported by the other 99.4 percent, the they're not here. It, it's just it's just going to be useless. It's it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and if you look at the the structure, the hierarchy of the church too, um, and I can't remember what year the stat was, but if you look at the number of clergy, right, the ordained in the church hierarchy, really. What we need, you know, uh, bishops, priests, and deacons to do is to confer sacraments. And they make up 0.35% of the church. So, again, less than 1%. So, that means the onus is on the rest of us, the laity, 99.65%, to to actually make this stuff happen. The catechesis, the evangelization. Not to say our shepherds, I mean, we get our teaching authority from our our shepherds and whatnot. But, you know, I I do want to go back because I think... the, the one thing when I was reading Going, Going, Gone, and just as we've been involved in, in ministry, the, it, it does go back to the parents, um, and, and really, right? Because we can, you and I, we can, and everyone that we work with, and we've got, we're, we're blessed to be at a very vibrant parish. We've got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, like you said, but our numbers aren't there, right? I mean, our numbers are, are showing us just how much more we have to go, but the, the accountability and the onus on, uh, where our priorities are in the family, right? That we spend an enormous amount of time. Our, you know, one of the things I know that I that in my own uh, public ministry, that our kids are stressed out. They're overwhelmed, right? They they have got a lot of stuff going on. School is one thing, right? Academics, you know, there's the push there. Then they're not just on one team; they're on two teams, if not three teams. <laughs> Um, on top of dance and music and everything else, right? So we're we're really trying to form these Renaissance, you know, men and women of our culture. Yet, that when it comes to the faith, you know, uh, it, it just takes a back seat, or maybe it's in the trunk if it's in the car at all. Um, and I think that's part of our issue is for the parents that are out there, you know, um, this issue, just the trajectory of where the kids are headed. Right. So for especially for the young parents that are out there that um, and, and, and we'll get to I'll, I'll, I'll make a comment to the the uh, the more seasoned parents out there. Um, but the young parents out there, this is where our kids are headed. Sixty percent of just look in your house right now. Sixty percent of your children will not be practicing the faith by the time they're 18. Right. Eighty yeah. percent of them are pretty much out of the church between 18 and 24 when they're out of your home. 
And yet, if you really ask some really thought-provoking, profound questions like, really what matters in life? You know, instead of approaching soccer and football and baseball uh, when they're like eight, as if they're going to the majors the next year, or even <laughs> when they're 12 or 13, when are we going to teach them? I mean, you're, you're one injury away from, you know, not playing anymore. You're, you're one tragedy away from not having a loved one. And, uh, and not to scare anybody, but that's the reality is that we, you know, we're, what we value, what we say we value, our lives need to be consistent with that. And I think you and I can want it all we want, but really it, it's that thing called free will. Ah, if we just were robots, right, it would be a lot easier. But um, that, that's kind of my message. And, and for the older parents who maybe um, realize that now today, it's, it's working. It's not like you can't go after your kid you're always a parent and you know once you're a parent you're a parent right but um it's going back and trying to make the that situation right and, and just i know we spend a lot of time working with uh with adults and kids um kids or parents of children who are receiving the sacraments is really trying to encourage them support them um but also inspire and motivate them to to do something about it like this isn't something that is so far away from us that we can't turn it around and you know we we we're, we're Catholic, we're Christian, so we have hope in Christ. But anything along those lines, Doug, where, you know, I, I really want to, you know, um, hold accountable, but also in an encouraging and inspiring way to the parents that are out there that this is our problem. This isn't Father So-and-So's problem. This isn't, you know, Doug Beaumont's problem. This isn't John Saban's problem outside of our own families. But this is like our problem. You know, this is on our watch because our kids are leaving and we can sit there and point at all kinds of things. But in the end, the majority of time spent is in, under our care at home. Yeah. I saw a, a catechist gave a really good example one time where they, they filled this giant tube up with like tennis balls. Mm -hmm. and it was like all the way to the ceiling overflowing and everything. And then they, they took one and they dropped it in the other tube. And they said, this is the difference between how much time you have with your kids and how much time we have. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and it's like, you know, we can offer all the support in the world here, but if, if the parents aren't coming here and uh, taking advantage of those things, I mean, I, I can't, I can't make, there's only so much I can make people do, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and I, you know, we don't want a bunch of grumpy people uh, coming out here and being angry because then, then the kids see that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole cultural shift that has to happen because, you know, the church teaches that the parents are the primary catechists of the children. And I think that for a lot of us, we kind of think of that like, um, well, but that, that's if I take up that role, you know, mm -hmm. but what, what I, I think the flip side that we don't think about very often is we, we are catechizing our kids no matter what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're sitting there watching TV all day, you're catechizing your kids. You're telling them this is, this is life here mm -hmm. is sitting on the couch watching TV. You know, they are learning from you no matter what you do. If you're not there, you're still teaching them because <laughs> yeah. now they know that, that families are, you know, absentee parents or whatever. I mean, there's no getting out of that role as the primary catechist. And, and it's just not something that any babysitter, any catechist, any teacher, you can send them to school eight hours a day. They are still primarily going to be influenced by the family. And uh, if we don't have families that are taking the faith seriously, they're the, the, the church can have all the programs it wants is never going to be able to change it. Right. So we, you know, what, one of the things I'm working on for next year is, is trying to figure out a way to 
better involve the parish in supporting the parents directly, not not supporting them in the sense of doing it for you so that you can sit in the parking lot or go watch TV or get some errands done, <laughs> mm-hmm. but supporting you in the sense of we, we need to form you into Catholics so that your kids will be formed. Because, you know, you know, I mean, up until a certain age, the kids are basically excited about whatever you're excited about. Right. You know, and um, if, if we have families that you can just tell, I mean, they're just they're just not into this. They're just not really into the whole Catholic thing. And it, it does. It doesn't matter how good our curriculum is. It doesn't matter how good our catechesis is. Um, we, we, we can't possibly overcome a family that doesn't care, that doesn't see the point, that, do, that doesn't know why they're Catholic. Um, so that, that's that's what I'm aiming for is how can I make this work in a way that is fr- from us to them affecting the family from the top down instead of trying to do it from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, how do we get those families to want what we have? Like, I know we got good stuff, but we're not getting them in. So how, how do we do this in a way that is going to, to please the families so that they are excited, so that they get it? Because um, if they don't take that home with them, again, we can force them to come to school of faith. We can force them to do, you know, watch formed videos and take, you know, take notes and turn in their papers. And, you know, all the all the, the paperwork in the world isn't going to get anybody excited about the faith. And if they're not excited, the kids aren't going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I mean, we've obviously got a work cut out. This is something that, uh, you know, we didn't get her overnight and it's not going to be fixed overnight. Um, and, and I think about going back to that less than 1%. And I, I think it's trying to help connect the dots and, and, and help people understand the trajectory of where we're headed, right? Like, and, and in our human relationships, you would, never, you would never accept less than 1% of anybody's time and call it a relationship, right? right. You would never say, well, uh, you know, you're a great husband, Doug. You spend less than 1% of time with your wife. Right. You know, or 1% of your, that's not even a relationship. It's not even an acquaintance. And I think um, I know in, in, in my own ministry, that's the, the message I say, you know, so why do we do that with God? Why do we think somehow in our mind that um, that's a relationship or think that's going to stick with our kids? And, and for those that may be tempted out there to think that they don't um, they don't know enough about the faith. You know, they, they didn't get much of a faith handed on to them. Um, and this is what Doug is talking about is, is about providing resources and a support system. That, and in today's world, right, in today's uh, internet-driven, um, technology-driven, info, uh, information-ready uh, world, you have so many more, so much more resources at your at your fingertips. And so that's the other part of encouraging those out there that maybe that, that this talk has helped you kind of realize that, yeah, wow, you know, we really haven't taken the faith seriously. There's always time to change um, in the sense, I mean, you hope there's always time to change. Um, but now's a good time to change to, to try to figure out. What is it that I can do to better understand my faith? We don't have all the answers. Uh, we never will until we, we see the, the face of God. Um, but but the church has, uh, there's been a lot smarter and holier people than Doug and myself and uh, that, that, have, that lived before us. And so don't, don't ever think that you need um, to have all the answers in order to pass down a vibrant faith. Um, but the point would be to seek those answers, right? Because we have, the church has the answers. Um, so any last last parting words, Doug, as far as um, maybe an approach for some of those that are listening out there, if they're, they're interested in um, kind of really taking this, this problem seriously and, and resolving it, obviously starting with their own families first? Yeah, I think that the two things that I'm seeing that need the most work are um, we need to spend more time talking about why we're Catholic. 
know, th th there are reasons, good reasons to be Catholic, good reasons to be uh, Catholic Christians. Um, a catechesis that focuses only on what the church believes, um, it's it just, it's too easy to just get it into rote memorization, check the list, here's your graduation certificate, you don't got to go be Catholic anymore. Um, we, we, we need youth that when they get to those difficult times, when they when they see the bad things happen, because we, we can't change that. I, I, I can't make someone not experience anything bad with the church or their family. Mm -hmm. um, but what we can do is we can teach them things that will stick with them. That yeah, when you're when you are um, tempted to doubt, I want you to I want you to have things in your mind that are not going to let you off that easy, <laughs> yeah. um, and and that's just not something you see very much of, unfortunately, in, in any curriculum, even the best curriculum, I that, that we've used, not not super great on the why. The, the assumption is oh you're Catholic, you love being Catholic, you just want to learn more, and that's just not the case anymore. Those are not the people we're serving anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the second thing is we need to focus on families. We, we, we need to start supporting the parents by forming them and not by replacing them. And, you know, th things are changing. I, I, the, the, um, I think that a lot of, I, I didn't make this up. <laughs> you know, this is what I've been hearing for a long time is that, you know, family catechesis needs to come back. We, we, can't, we can't treat the adults in the family as if they're the good Catholics and their kids just need support. The whole family needs the support now. Um, so I think getting the why mixed in with the what, um, as far as what, what the faith is and why we believe it, and then uh, getting out of this school children mentality and focusing on forming the family. I think those two things would, would I mean, that, that would alone would cover 80% of the reasons that these people are leaving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Doug, on a, on a uh, personal note, where do you, uh, where can folks kind of find more information? I know you've got a website. Um, you're also, I didn't even bring it up, but you, uh, you also write for Catholic Answers, right? Catholic.com uh, as well. So what, where can people uh, kind of find more out about uh, Doug Beaumont, what you do uh, from a ministry perspective, some of your writing, you're, you're very thoughtful and, um, you know, have a lot of knowledge to share. Uh, so where can, where can they find out more information about you? Yeah, probably the, the starting point would be to go to DouglasBeaumont.com. And then uh, anything I've written for Catholic Answers or, or any of this other stuff is pretty easily accessible through there, as well as things I've just written on my own. Wonderful. Any any uh, new projects uh, coming up that people should be aware about or any, any events that they, that you are looking forward to coming up in this new year? Um, yeah, I've, uh, I've well, I'm, I'm working on the reboot for the movie book, which is exciting. Um, that teaches Christians how to understand what a movie is actually talking about. Uh, so that they can really genuinely understand objectively what the message of the movie is mm -hmm. and then how to uh, deal with it from a Catholic standpoint. Um, so I'm excited about that book. Um, and then, um, yeah, just, just some, some talks and some writing things going on with Catholic Answers. Um, and, uh, yeah, just Google around. It'll, it'll be out there somewhere. <laughs> well, hey, brother, I want to uh, just thank you for the time um, today and for your insight um, and for your leadership at, at the parish, just for what you're trying to do for families, um, first and foremost for your own family, but also for the families of, of those that attend uh, our parish. And we, uh, I know for my listeners and viewers, uh, Doug is a, is, is, a, is a great friend, but he's also a great Catholic. And so the, uh, the, 
the converts, man. My wife's a convert. And I'm like, you guys come into the church and you guys just make the rest of us uh, cradle Catholics feel bad about uh, <laughs> how we've we've stunk it up here. But appreciate all that you're doing out there. Appreciate what you do for, uh, you know, the local church, but also in your, your own personal ministry. Um, keep up the good work out there. Uh, we'll continue to pray for each other. And uh, may God continue to bless you and your ministry, brother. Yeah, you too, buddy. What you're doing is important. It's helped me a lot. Thank you. God bless you. True faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.